Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, our special guest is Bill Poole, director of the Alabama Department of Finance. Also, the V-Team takes a look at COVID infodemics. And Mo Brooks says Alpha, the BCA, and the United States Chamber of Commerce is in league with socialist Democrats to destroy the country. How do you stop a crazy train like this? Boots. All this and much, much more coming up next on The V. Welcome to the voice of Alabama politics, where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and today I'm joined by Susan Britt, research guru extraordinaire. Hello. Angie Horn, Republican strategist and political consultant, and David Person, media consultant and the co-host of Alabama This Week podcast. It's, it's actually Alabama politics this week, isn't it, David? There you go. Hey, tell us a little bit about the show. Well, every week, Josh Moon and I, who I think you know, yeah. uh, we get together <laughs> and we uh, we have, I think, a pretty vibrant, robust conversation about just what the, what the name of the show says, Alabama politics, Alabama culture, mostly that stuff. And then sometimes we get into a little bit of national stuff, too. But mostly it's about what's going on in our state and uh, what we think needs to be done about it. And anybody can watch it by going to wherever they get their podcast, correct? That's right. It's an audio podcast, Bill, and they can they can go to Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, just wherever they listen to podcasts. Yeah, you've got a cr- quite quite a bit of viewers right Good now, or, or listeners right yeah. now. It's growing fast. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it is growing. It is growing as well. It's actually actually bigger than all these uh, uh, radio little radio shows that they've got around, but. Anyway, well, thanks for sharing that with us. I want to get to get to this. We got a lot to talk about uh, today, but uh, Angie, I, I know you noticed this because you don't miss very much. Mo Brooks, who was running for the U.S. Senate, decided that it was time that he attacked Alabama farmers. The Alabama Farmers Federation attacked BCA, the business community, and he said that they're all in league with socialist Democrats who want illegals crossing our borders and to give jobs to those that that he says shouldn't be in our country. I mean, is this a selling point for Mo Brooks, Angie? Only if the sell is to Bryce Hospital. I have never (laughs) seen anything like this. Mo Brooks is now saying our farmers, Alabama farmers who grow our food, who are overwhelmingly Republican are now somehow secret socialists, but they weren't secret socialists 10 days ago when he was trying to get their endorsement. This is the most bizarre political thing that I have ever seen take place. And not only did he do it once, 
One of his campaign team members went on the radio the next day and doubled down on the accusation that farmers, who we all know, everyone in Alabama knows farmers, we know that they're not socialists, we know that they are good, hardworking, God-fearing, mostly Republican people, are somehow secretly socialists. Um, I don't understand what the play is here, but it doesn't end well for anyone on Team Brooks. I mean, David, uh, you you live up in the, the district uh, that uh, Mo Brooks uh, represents. I mean, recently he, he voted against funding Redstone Arsenal and our military. I mean, how does this how does this comport with actually supporting your district? You know, it's it's the most bizarre show, or really a better word would be circus, that I've seen in a while. And I've known Mo for over 20 years, I think. Uh, he he seems to be on a steady downward decline. Is is the only word that I can think of to use. Uh, and I think the most telling thing here, at least to my recollection, isn't even the breakdown that we're seeing now. Uh, you know, it is it, the, the most telling thing happened about an election or two ago when three, well, I think it was the last election that he was in, where three generals, three generals uh, who had been affiliated with Redstone came out and supported his opponent. And I think that spoke volumes. Now, it didn't, yeah. it did not, it didn't result in his not being elected, but I think it was a clear indication that that there has been, and I suspect is now growing astronomically within the Republican Party, within the conservative culture of our state, people and organizations who realize that Mo is a liability and he will be a, a horrific liability if he's elected to the Senate. Uh, Susan, I mean, Alpha did not take his uh, accusations uh, lying down. They, they, they snapped back. They did. Uh, in a, in a, a letter from them, they said that Congressman Book's statements were not only categorically false, but they are also an insult to hardworking, law-abiding farmers who he claims to represent. Now, they did endorse Katie Britt, and they said, unlike recent statements by Congressman Brooks, Katie Britt has demonstrated respect and appreciation for the farmers in rural Alabama. She earned the confidence of the Federation members by being a strong conservative leader who can th get things done in Washington. So while he's spouting this off, Katie Britt's out, actually out there shaking hands with farmers, asking what they need. And just for the record, we are not related to Katie no, Britt, but we actually know uh, Wesley and Katie and, and think very highly of them. Angie, but that was the determination there. I mean, you know the Republican Party as well as anybody. You, you have been an active member. You have gotten Republicans elected up and down the board. Is, will endorsements uh, get you elected, I mean, in Alabama, or do you just have to go out there and work for it? You have to work for it. And look, here's the thing that's different about the Alpha endorsement versus a lot of the other endorsements, is that Alpha, you go meet with each individual county. There are 67 county boards. Each county right. is made up 100% of actual farmers. Each of those counties vote on behalf of their county, the farmers in those in those counties vote to who they want to endorse in the U.S. Senate race. And they, they all send representatives to Montgomery, they cast their votes, and overwhelmingly, Katie Britt, who had traveled to something like 50 some odd counties, um, meeting with these farmers and listening to them, got their support. Mo Brooks didn't. 
And when he didn't get their support, he called them socialists. Um, right. This is just, this is a level of temper tantrum that my seven-year-old son would be embarrassed to throw. <laughs> I, I mean, absolutely. It seems to me that, and, and we've only got about 30 seconds, but just in my observation, that anybody that Mo Brooks doesn't like or that doesn't, doesn't like him uh, automatically is a democratic mm -hmm. socialist. They are terrible people. And, and for his campaign to come out and call it childish, the way that Alpha's acting, I mean, <laughs> I know the people over at Alpha, they are serious men and women. They are not childish. They're not. And that, you know, if they had endorsed Mo, we would be, it would be a different story today. You yeah. know, again, you're right. Anybody who's not supporting Mo is a democratic socialist. So, I mean, I think more than half of the Republican Party is going to end up being called socialist by Mo Brooks on Election Day because he has now turned off small business owners. He has turned off women. He has turned off the military. And now he's gone after our farmers. I'm not sure who it is Mo does like. And hopefully the, re the Republican voters will turn out the lights on the Mo crazy train. We're going to leave it right there. You're watching the V, the voice of Alabama politics. We'll be right back with more news and opinion. Whether I am in Margaritaville enjoying a cheeseburger in paradise or cruising around on the Gulf of Mexico, I always make sure to vote. I am Jimmy Buffett, and I want to encourage you, too, to become a registered voter and to obtain a photo ID so you can have your voice heard and your vote count just like me. It is 5 o'clock somewhere, but fortunately, you have from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to get to the polls and exercise your right to vote. Keep making a difference for Alabama. So you got caught speeding. But this time you got more than a ticket. What are you in for? Vehicular homicide. Stop speeding before speeding stops you. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today is Bill Poole, director of the Alabama Department of Finance. Director Poole, welcome. Thank welcome. you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we have seen you wear many, many important hats for the state. Uh, this is just another in the long line of your service. You probably know more about the Alabama state budget than anybody I know. Uh, as the chairman of the House Budget, uh, one of the committees there. The, in this new role, you have a different perspective, but given your history of understanding how it works with the legislative process, can you give our viewers an idea of how things are going to move along as we move into the upcoming session and, and how the budget is so important to everything that happens in Alabama? Well, I can. So uh, as it relates to the timing of budgets in Alabama, we've just crossed a critical point in time. So our fiscal year concluded at the end of September. And so we have just begun a new fiscal year in the state of Alabama. So what is occurring right now is we're gathering the data, closing the books on the prior fiscal year and undertaking the analysis of, okay, 
How did the state perform? Uh, what, are, what can we learn from the performance of the prior year so that we can plan forward and anticipate and estimate as we prepare the next fiscal year's budget, which is based on projections. So we need to know as much as we can learn from the prior year's performance. Uh, we're out of the box in the current fiscal year, FY22. What can we learn over the next few weeks and months in terms of how that process begins? And then the, the legislature will convene in January. And at that point, we'll take up uh, in the legislative process the next fiscal year's budget. And so it is a critical process for the state, though, because clearly these are how this is how we finance state government. This is how we finance all of the functions uh, that are performed by state government. And these are taxpayer dollars. Um, these are the dollars that are generated by our economy, by our citizens. We have a responsibility to steward them responsibly, carefully for maximum return on investment to serve the citizens of the state. So that process is always in process, but is renewing and beginning in earnest as we turn that fiscal year and look forward to drafting the next fiscal year's budgets. COVID has had a devastating impact on lives and budgets and businesses all throughout the state. But there's also the American Rescue Plan Act, which has brought billions of dollars to our state and other states around the country. How is that impacting our budget and, you know, what's the long and short term views on how this money is going to be spent and what it means? Well, you're right. I mean, the, the ARPA funds are going to have a big impact nationally and on the state of Alabama. And so what we're very fortunate in Alabama, though, before we talk about the ARPA funds, to recognize that our economy, our citizens deserve enormous credit in being resilient and sustaining our economic activity during and through the pandemic. And, and that pandemic is clearly ongoing. Uh, but Alabama's outperformed other states from just about every economic analysis uh, in terms of relative to our past performance. Uh, and we're very fortunate in that regard. Now, uh, as you referenced, Congress first appropriated the CRF, uh, the first round of stimulus funds. Uh, those funds have moved through Alabama's economy and are out in the field now as in other states. Uh, Congress then uh, passed the second stimulus plan the American Relief Plan Act, ARPA, that you referenced. Uh, the state has received half of those funds uh, and will prepare to appropriate those out most likely, uh, at least substantially in the regular session. The state will receive a second uh, half, the second half of the funds in May. So the funds are coming in two components. But what, what we clearly can discern is the federal funds are having an impact and are inflating to some extent our economic numbers. And as a consequence, they're going to inflate and are inflating our revenues into the state right now. So, so what we're going to see as we concluded the last fiscal year and entered the next is a very substantial increases in state revenue generated. But what we also know is uh, these are historical anomaly type numbers. And right. uh, so what we're going to need to do is be very methodical, think about our taxpayers and our citizens as we think about, okay, what are what is the best way we can utilize these funds? But we also have to recognize 
uh, our, our revenues are going to return to normal cycle levels in the out years. So we do not need to set our state in a position that we're going to have a fiscal problem and, and perpetuate that problem a few years from now when those federal monies wash out and are gone, when growth revenues and, 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 and percentages return to normal, that we can sustain our normal operations of state government without putting ourselves in a deficit or a proration position. Those are lessons of the past. We've learned those lessons the hard way. We need to apply those lessons now uh, in the sense of, we saw the record revenue numbers in the 07, 08, 09 period. Then we saw an, an enormous recession that put us in proration, caused great difficulty in the state. We need to be very careful, very methodical, learn the lessons from that experience, apply those here, protect our citizens and our taxpayer dollars in that regard. We've got a little over a minute left, but you hit on a very important point, I think, and that is that Alabama has done very well despite the pandemic. Alabama has, and I've told people, I think it is remarkable uh, how Alabama has performed from an economic standpoint, as well as many other viewpoints through this pandemic. And I give Governor Ivey uh, great uh, congratulations uh, for that uh, and great credit for that. I give the legislative leadership uh, who have passed conservative budgets, who have created rainy day accounts, who have really stewarded uh, our, 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 and really the entire legislature that has passed bipartisan budgets in recent years to place us on solid fiscal ground that paid dividends as we entered the pandemic, paying dividends as we navigate it and hopefully exit the pandemic. But you know, mo most importantly, the citizens who maintain work, who maintain businesses, you know, it's been a difficult time for a lot of people, families, children's out, out of school. There've been so many difficulties. A lot of those difficulties continue, but uh, we have performed, I think as a state, remarkably well on virtually every level under the circumstances. And, and I think we should all as citizens of our state be proud of that. Well, I would agree. And I thank you so much for joining us today. And we wish you all the success in the world in your new position. Uh, we know that you will work hard. So thank you very much. Please thank come back soon. I will. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Our special guest has been Bill Poole, Director of the Department of Finance for the State of Alabama. We'll be right back. You'll never guess what 400,000 people in the U.S. were using when they crashed their cars last year. No, not this. This. Distracted driving will kill you. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Whether I am in Margaritaville enjoying a cheeseburger in paradise or cruising around on the Gulf of Mexico, I always make sure to vote. I am Jimmy Buffett, and I want to encourage you, too, to become a registered voter and to obtain a photo ID so you can have your voice heard and your vote count just like me. It is 5 o'clock somewhere, but fortunately, you have from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to get to the polls and exercise your right to vote. Keep making a difference for Alabama. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. In the bizarro world of alternative facts, a group of doctors called Concerned Doctors, mm -hmm. along with the Alabama Policy Institute, uh, recently sent a letter to Governor Kay Ivey 
in which they said that she should uh, uh, make legislation that would have doctors uh, prescribe medication that is not for COVID-19. And it's the, the horse and bovine dewormer mm -hmm. and other unproven medication. And, and they claim that these are working when all the science says it's not. Uh, uh, doctors at UAB have been calling this an infodemic where people are getting all this false information about medications when there's a vaccine out there. I agree. I mean, it's also proven that this intervictin is, is sending people to, you know, poison control because this is not designed for people. It's designed for animals. You get these meds from your vet, not your regular medical doctor. So, I mean, I, I don't know what the effort here is, but it's not a good one. Uh, I think that the, 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 these doctors should be really looked into about how they are treating their patients, maybe from a board level. I mean, David, these this, these folks, some of them, uh, uh, we, we've found out the Frontline Doctors, America's Frontline Doctors, this association has been making, made about $15 million selling consulting fees and ineffective COVID treatments. I mean, that's, I, I don't know why else they would be in it. Yeah, it's definitely a Hippocratic oath violation, but even more than that, it's a it's an incredible abuse of of a constituency that is already vulnerable because we're talking about i think in a lot of cases people uh that are in states where the comorbidity rates are high and so the last thing they need is this this horrific misinformation that already is compounded by the fact i think that many don't wear masks many are not practicing social distancing and and of course haven't been vaccinated so it's a it's a major it's a major problem and i think it's prosecutable i don't i don't know if it'll ever come to that uh maybe it's a maybe it needs to be maybe they need to be sued in civil court but i think it's prosecutable because what they're doing is is beyond just you know, we've got this controversy right now with the NBA, and we've got some players who are saying they don't want to be vaccinated. Well, it's one thing to say you don't want to be vaccinated, even though I don't endorse that. I'm vaccinated. But it's another thing to actually push, you know, solutions, clinical medical solutions that are dangerous to the human, to the human body. I mean, Angie, uh, you know, I Governor Ivey rejected it. I, what are we dealing with here? I, I don't understand why this is going on. And, and where's the, the Department of Medical Examiners? Well, this is pure attention seeking. That's all this is. These are people who want their name in the paper and it worked. But, but here's the thing, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative Republican. I believe that your relationship should be between you and your doctor, which is why I was against Obamacare. I don't believe that politicians should be in the middle of this. And Kay Ivey is a politician. If these people, want to listen to their personal doctors who are on this movement and take medicine from the tractor supply, fine. That's between them <laughs> and the doctor. But it has nothing to do with politicians. And so when doctors start reaching out to politicians for headlines, I think we have a much bigger problem with what their message is. I think we have a problem you have attention-seeking doctors. Listen, we had a doctor in the governor's office one time. Didn't work out for anybody, okay? That would have been a different story had this been when we had a physician in the governor's office. We don't. 
There was no reason for them to write this letter. If they want to prescribe this to their patient, feel free. No one's stopping them. This is nothing more than absolute attention seeking and headline seeking. Well, uh, they got it and uh, it went viral and uh, hundreds of thousands of people got very upset about it. But we need to move on. Uh, the legislature approved $1.3 billion in a prison contract. You can agree with that or not. Uh, we've been talking. One of the things that they did not do is address. Uh, they passed one bill that had a modest uh, reform for prisons and the other one they kicked down the road to uh, uh, the regular session. We spoke with uh, Representative Jim Hill recently, Judge Hill, um, and he said that they are going to bring back more reform bills in the regular session. David, uh, I don't know how you feel about building prisons, but I know we've got to have reforms or we're just going to have to keep building prisons. Well, you know, building prisons creates, I think, uh, a set of problems that um, you know, it, it creates a set of problems that I think we don't often discuss. And that is, you know, that we are basically uh, trying to create uh, what I would call a, 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 a criminal justice kind of economy, you know, where uh, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're counting on prisons to 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 drive the economy to create jobs and that sort of thing so as a general rule i would say that should not be our first go-to now in alabama specifically i understand that that there are prison buildings uh that need to be uh you know redone or eliminated replaced because uh, they're broken down and they're inefficient and all of that. So, you know, there's a there's room for that solution in our state, but it doesn't solve the pressing issues that the Justice Department has continued to raise with us. You know, we've got prisoners who are drug addicts, not just because they went in as drug addicts, but because of the flow of drugs in the prison. We've got prisoners who are subject to violence and sexual abuse because of the inadequate staffing of prisons and also because of the culture of prisons. Uh, you know, there, there are issues that have to be addressed that simply replacing buildings is not going to address. And I think, you know, and I think that's what you're suggesting when you talk about reform. We've got to have, whether we build prisons or not, and again, in Alabama, I think there's some room for that. But the deeper, more pressing issue is we've got to have reform of the prison culture and the business of prisons in our state. All right, well, Angie, you were filibustered on that one. We'll have to catch this up later, but I want to thank y'all for joining you us. That was ridiculous. We're, we're going to have to leave it right there. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. You watch us because we watch them.